Nothing in this podcast or related content is investment or financial advice. And I look out into the ecosystem of physical fashion, which is a $2.5 trillion industry. I look actually into the environment of non-Web3 native digital fashion. And for me, that's skins and games, which is $40 billion industry. And then I look at Web3 native digital fashion. And it's less than 100 million. And I was like, why on earth is this? Why aren't people getting it? Why aren't people more excited about it? I also wanted to become this gateway to fashion as a tool for financial empowerment, which it's never been in the past. Welcome to the Web3 for Good podcast. We're on a mission to uncover the greatest innovators, thinkers, and creators building the next reiteration of our online lives. I'm your host, Camilla Perkis-White, a digital brand strategist who's worked with some of the world's biggest businesses to drive impact and purpose in the online world. Throughout this podcast, I'll be hosting a series of intimate conversations with leaders in Web3 in hope to inspire us all to build a Web3 for good. This week's episode is all about fashion. So what better place to record than the very funky Soho House Studios in London with digital fashion icon, Danny Loftus. Danny is the founder and CEO of Drop, a platform redefining digital fashion in Web3. She's also an imaginary influencer. Yeah, that's a thing. Check her out. This outfit does not exist. I'm sure everyone is now looking it up on the gram. But Danny's also been involved in a huge variety of social good projects and is deeply rooted in her purpose to build a sustainable future for the fashion industry. In this episode, we're going to milk Danny for all her exceptional insights on how the fashion industry is transforming in Web3 and how we can all get involved. And of course, what her vision is for the future. Radio, on to the show. Is digital fashion the answer? Where will the future take us or better yet, dress us? And most importantly, what will it take to get there? I am thrilled to invite my guest for this week's episode, Danny Loftus, digital fashion influencer, investor, and founder of Drop, a platform maximizing the value of digital fashion for its creators and consumers. Welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for having me, Camilla. So I was privileged to come across Danny at an NFT conference called Proof of People in London. She sat on a panel of the future of fashion. I was sitting in the front row like the absolute geek that I am, mesmerized by Danny's knowledge, passion, and most importantly, commitment to building the utility required to build a Web3 for good. I very quickly slid into her DMs to see if she would join us on the podcast. And the rest, well, is going to unfold in the next 45 minutes-ish. So sit back and enjoy. Danny, in prep of this interview, I did not so light internet stalking, and I was most moved by your very early commitment to social good. I'd love to start with what drove you down this path and the impactful projects that followed. So I came into digital fashion in a relatively unconventional way. I don't think there's a particularly conventional way to come into Web3, but I think the fashion route 
people normally come from fashion schools or have a previous fashion background. And whilst I've always had a colossal love for fashion and the industry and being somebody who continuously watches fashion videos on YouTube, I actually began my career in the social impact space. So until I was 17, I really thought that the fashion industry was what I was going to pursue professionally. And I had this big existential crisis. And I remember going home and literally sitting on the edge of my bed, my mind completely blank. And essentially what it was, was this transition from the fashion industry that I had fallen in love with, which was really spawned by creativity. So you had designers like Vivian Westwood or McQueen and all of these stories of them working out of their basements in quite a similar way to startup founders. And then as we moved into the true early millennial years, it seemed so much more to be do- to do with conspicuous consumption and young creatives were being priced out. And so I sat there and thought, this is always going to be my deep passion, but maybe working in the industry isn't for me. And so completely pivoted and fell totally in love with social impact. So this idea that there could be an intersection between making money and actually helping the world was mind blowing for me. And my first job was in an impact fund called The Impact, where what we would do is we would connect high net worth individuals with an impact investing network, with funds, we'd open their eyes up into what fields you could actually invest in, because at the time it was super early, the impact investing space was still incredibly nascent. And that was my first job, which then brought me into the blockchain space back in 2018, where I was working for a company lending to financially underserved populations in emerging markets. So the tech impact intersection has always been very, very close to my heart. And then, you know, following on from that, I was at BP working with their low carbon trading division to actually help create the shift from fossil fuels into low carbon energy sources using emerging tech to highlight and emphasize that process. And then working with Facebook on their social good programs. So yeah, it wasn't a traditional fashion trajectory. And then what really drove me to digital fashion was when I started looking back into the fashion industry, looking at fashion tech and looking at this entirely new intersection of startups driven by people that in the same way as me had become disenfranchised by the industry and were seeing that this change needed to happen. My mind started changing from what I had felt when I was 17. And then digital fashion for me really became the pinnacle of that. Wow. I mean, I'm not too sure how you've had all the time for all this, uh, but it's exciting that there are people like you in the world who are driving change, that's for sure. I think we'll talk a bit more about it, but there's definitely plenty of work to be done still digitally on things like energy consumption. But I cannot hide my excitement for digital fashion. It honestly excites me to every bone in my body. My mother is actually a fashion designer. So from the age of five weeks old, I grew up on the sewing table and film sets and TV shows. And then as like a ridiculously tall, curvy girl, the removal of this small, medium, large seasonal fashion I just can't wait for. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into that a bit more with you. But there's a particular part of your career, I think, that has really spiked recently, which is where you've kind of taken this transition into this outfit does not exist. I really can understand the power here, building my career in social over the last 15 years. The landscape of consumer goods, particularly in fashion beauty, see huge success when it comes to influencer marketing. But there remains like this incredible, 
incredibly dark cloud over the ethics that also influencers have faced. I mean, you see the behind the scene videos, especially beauty influencers, entire rooms of a lipstick been opened once or fashion ones who have like story highs of boxes just that week that have been sent to them. So I'm really looking forward to understanding from you, you know, the solutions within this. But before we go any further, for the listeners who may not be following you yet, can you explain the method to the badness behind this outfit does not exist? With pleasure. So this outfit does not exist was really started with the explicit mission to bring digital fashion to life. And that's to life in the mind of creators, to life in the mind of consumers, and also to life in the mind of fashion execs as to what it is, why it's so important, and how they can go on to engage. As I said to you before, my background for some time was going into FTSE 100 companies and saying, here's how emerging technology will inevitably revolutionize your business. Here's how you can harness it to your advantage. And then actually running the work that they did. So that's how I was working with BP. That's how I was working with Facebook. When I realized that digital fashion was going to be the next big thing, and yet at the same time, it was untapped and very few people actually even recognized it as a form of fashion, I said, you know what, it's peak pandemic. Why don't I take this knowledge and this experience and start off by just having a newsletter? So I wrote these 5,000 word essays aimed at the C-suite more than anyone else, basically saying, here's what digital fashion is. Here's why you should care. And then in different segments like digital design, why it's so important from a sustainability perspective, how the concept of consumption and ownership is playing. I realized when I was writing those that, yes, some people may want to read my 5,000 word essays, maybe not that many people. But given that the Instagram generation, the generation that I grew up with, use images and visual language as their way to engage, it wasn't enough for me to just write about it. I actually needed to show it in order to tap this audience of creators and consumers who I was also trying to engage. So started with the newsletter on Substack and an Instagram called This Outfit Does Not Exist. And what I would do is I would write these long reads and then the posts on This Outfit Does Not Exist would always serve to bring the long reads to life. So I'd embed them within. So digital design, for example, I showcased four or five different creators who were designing entirely digitally and then would use them or highlight them as examples in the newsletter. So always be that very close tie between the two. What I also would do with the South and Exist was really trying to highlight the creators who are doing digital fashion well. As we know, the fashion industry is one of the least forgiving industries in the world in terms of the fact that if something doesn't look perfect off the bat or it's not visually engaging, it will be written off immediately. In order to have the impact that I truly believe digital fashion should have, I needed to showcase images where the clothes looked as good as they possibly could were in a cool setting. And that would make people who are not just tech nerds like me or you, but fashion people really want to engage with them. Okay, but I want to ask, like, how on earth you make it come to life, right? Like, the photographs that you put up are unreal. So do you reach out to these designers directly? I mean, like, what are you wearing underneath? Is there anything there? Like, sometimes I'm like, is she in a skin suit? Um, what sort of secrets can you spill? So I'll give you a couple of secrets about, first of all, the, just the genesis of the project. When I first started, what really inspired me was an article by the CMO of Gucci, which said Gucci was going to produce clothes to be worn solely digitally in the next couple of years. 
And I'd likely followed the gaming ecosystem and how fashion had been interacting there. But nobody yet had really said, this is going to be targeted at the creator economy. And the second Gucci said they were going in, I knew that was going to be the next big thing. First thing I did was I did a Google search. And I expected there to be, first of all, a ton of articles on Wired on this was nothing. Secondly, a ton of Instagram accounts with, you know, cool 20K follower micro-influencers wearing these clothes. Again, there was nothing. What I noticed then digging deeper into the spaces, there were some OGs like the Fabricant. There was Carlings that had done a collection with Vice. I don't know if you saw it pretty early on, where they sold digital items more as a marketing gimmick than anything, but with the kind of digital render model. So consumers would buy things for, I think, five to 50 euros, send a photo of themselves in and have the garment rendered onto them. And then there were two or three platforms which have now become the leading platforms today. So DressX, Dematerialized, Replicant, Tribute Brand, who were just starting out. So like, I mean, a month or two months old. So I sat there and I looked at it and I essentially said, you know what, no one's doing this. I think I'm well positioned to do this. But also because all of these businesses are starting out, they need people to wear their clothes. So if I was a traditional influencer, you know, no one would be working with me if I had less than 10K followers. No way. But because all of these brands, you know, had less than a thousand followers and were starting out, I reached out to them and I said, this is my project. This is my goal. I'd love to create cool photos with you. Do you want to work with me? With a couple, I started by buying their stuff and showcasing how well I could really promote it or take a photo. And then we started those partnerships. But it was also the good fortune of having the industry develop as I developed. So because I was one of the first movers, there wasn't a digital fashion ecosystem before this. So I was the only influencer working in it. That answers, I think, the beginning of your question. And then in terms of the second half, I think what's normally quite helpful is if I start by just defining what I see digital fashion as. In my eyes, digital fashion can be most broadly defined as any one garment created in the digital realm. That falls into three categories. The first of which is IRL, or in real life digital fashion, which I recognize sounds slightly oxymoronic. But for me, that encapsulates everything from physical clothes with a digital design aspect. So Hilfiger, for example, digitize their entire product library. Burberry is using game design to create their patterns now. You also have companies like Metafactory, which are creating physical with digital versions as NFTs, but that's the IRL category. And that's physical clothes worn on humans with a digital backend. Second category is ORL, or on real life digital fashion, which is what we're talking about right now. And that's digital fashion worn on a human being. There are two primary ways that this happens. The first one is through digital render. And so the process will be, you will see a garment that you like. You'll take a photo of yourself specifically with the areas that you would be showing while you were wearing the garment being uncovered. So for example, if I was wearing a dress with a bodice, I would have a bandeau top on kind of thing. So I could literally go in a bandeau top and trousers if it was a floor length dress. And as long as those bits are uncovered, you can do it and you send that in. And then the company will digitally render the garment that you want onto you and send the photo back. Final category in terms of that ORL is AR filters, which have really evolved in leaps and bounds since I started. You know, so much less of your arm falling off. Uh, Snap's done a lot of investment into this space. And the final category is URL or unreal life digital fashion. So if you can think of ORL as digital fashion on a physical person, URL is digital fashion on a digital person. 
So you're operating solely in the director avatar economy. And an avatar can be an avatar in a game like Sims. It can be your PFP. It can be an avatar now on Instagram or Meta, but it's just a fully digital human you're dressing in those clothes. I mean, it's so exciting to hear. And I think that three-way breakdown is really helpful for people to now really understand the potential of where this can go and how many wears your outfits can now be getting. I'm a strong believer in a cost per wear. So I feel like this is all coming my way. So we kind of have, as you mentioned, you've mentioned some good brands. Like there are some really exciting things happening from some of the key stakeholders now. I do feel like we're still in an experimentation stage, you know, and it is a little insider crew WhatsApp group who are having a laugh about a Gucci t-shirt that was sold for a thousand pounds the other day. Someone else was selling something from Dolce Gabbana. And, but don't get me wrong, we're an all women gang. We were ready to buy. We were ready, ready, ready. But I think for me, I just can't wait for, similar to architecture, the clothes that maybe could never exist before coming into existence. And that from a creative standpoint, I can't wait to see what people from all over the world, from all different backgrounds can can begin to create. So where do you think brands should be developing first? Should we be starting with sort of AR filters? I mean, this is a really fun place for people to start experimenting too. Or do you want to see people looking more into direct avatar? Where do you think brands should be jumping into for the now? I think that's a really great question. And the way that I think about it, brands can be divided into two categories. The first category are brands that are using digital fashion to boost sales of physical goods. The second category is brands who are really seeing digital fashion as their own independent vertical. And I think what's funny is my opinion on this has changed in recent months because originally I would say all of these brands which are saying we're going to use digital as a way to boost sales of our physical goods aren't taking this space seriously. They will have to in the future. Why are they not doing it? But I think what I've seen, and this is because there has been such a wealth of luxury fashion plays over the past year, and a lot of them have not been native to the identity of the brand. I think for some brands, we're all going to obviously live in virtual spaces, but they should not try to be metaverse native. And so for those brands, I think digital fashion is a great way to democratize who can wear their clothes. And I would say, if you are one of the old, let's say very legacy physical brands, do stuff like limited edition AR filters. Democratize wearership in the way that you would otherwise do through something like an H&M diffusion line. For the other class of brands where this idea of digital is kind of integrated into their ethos in a way, or even just their aesthetics. So take Balenciaga, for example. They should really continue going after this metaverse play and go after it in a way that's even stronger. Instead of saying this is a marketing play to redirect attention to our physical clothes, it should really be this is a vertical that we are developing out as a standalone vertical where we say, okay, we have a group of, let's say, one million physical fashion consumers, but we can capture the attention of another million plus plus if what we're doing is saying we're designing for a digitally native context and we're designing at a price point you can afford and figuring out what digitally native luxury means to them because it won't be stratified by the same parameters that physical luxury will be. And when we look at sort of the sustainability issues associated with in real life fashion, do you really think that digital is going to help us 
improve that? I mean, there's so much to try and reverse and repair. Is there any hope or is this going to just add to the masses? The way that I see social impact is in the widest social impact or sustainability framework. You're dealing with people, you're dealing with profit, and you're dealing with planet. For me, people really speaks to the fact that it's very hard in fashion to elevate your career. It's very hard to break in as a creator. You are really under the gaze of and control of large systems, both in terms of who you can access, what you produce, etc. In terms of profit, it's to do with the fact that profit is not fairly distributed. It then becomes a gendered issue on top of that because 73% of designers or textile workers are women, but only 12% of CEOs. And we know that the trickle-down effect in the fashion industry doesn't work. So you know the people really getting compensation are not the creators and also then not women. And then obviously the final one is Planet, which is the fact that the fashion industry is responsible for 10% of the world's carbon emissions, which is more than the airline and maritime industries combined, which is absolutely insane. I think in terms of sustainability, if you look at the digital fashion scale at the moment, there are people who are really, really drilling down and saying, we're all going to have one outfit and everything's going to be projected onto our snail. And I think from meeting me briefly, you're aware that I'm not that kind of person. Like, I love physical clothes. I really do. However, where I see digital fashion playing a part in sustainability is, first of all, in making production more efficient. The fashion industry is unique in the way that it defies every single business book rhetoric of figure out if you have product market fit and then produce accordingly. The fashion industry likes to be like, we're going to make people want things. We're going to stimulate demand. We're going to produce whatever we want. And then we're going to make you want it. And as we've seen from Burberry burning a ton of clothes, as we've seen from the discounting that happens every single season, it doesn't manage to do that well or predict demand often. So first of all, helping the industry transition to a made-to-order model, incredibly important. In terms of the production process itself, you can make work so much more efficient and much more sustainable by having designers use digital software so they don't have to ship garments across the world. And things like Shopify reduced returns by, I think it was something like 95 plus percent using AR Tryon. So in terms of making us understand what we want to buy and have things only produced when we want to buy them physically, I think digital fashion can be a massive help. And I think a final note on using digital fashion as this complement is the fashion industry, as I said before, stimulates demand. And every single season it's saying to you, the clothes that we told you would make you the person that you wanted to be last season. Ooh, they're not really working anymore. You need new clothes. I'm a, as big of a fashion victim as anyone else. And I think with digital fashion, what you can do is you can experiment with your identity. You can iterate with your identity. And then actually what you consume physically can be slow fashion. And I think that's really revolutionary because I think all of the positive change we're trying to make from a consumption perspective in the fashion industry, it's very hard because it's going against the way that the model has operated for so many years. So having digital fashion as a complement without asking the fashion industry to stop consistently telling us our identities aren't good enough, which is what it will do until the end of time, unfortunately, is really valuable. I then think from a people standpoint, all of the stuff that people lord the NFT industry for, the fact that you can now be anywhere in the world, instead of having to deal with the high cost of production, you can create something digitally, use algorithmically generated assistance to get it on somebody like me. 
I've had photos that have got, you know, 400,000, 500,000 impressions. And you can get that exposure. And that's what we've seen with these digitally native brands. And then in terms of profit, those brands can get the money. You know, something like OpenSea is taking 2.5% fees as opposed to Facebook and Facebook Horizons, all of these other intermediaries and platforms. And then, of course, you can integrate royalty mechanisms if you do things in Web3. So it's not only, hey, you can now make more profit from your primary sale. It's also if the value of this brand goes up, which we do see quite commonly with fashion designers who make it big after a while, every single time their garment is sold, they can receive a portion of the profits, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I agree. I mean, the change in profit models for fashion is a really exciting place. I think we talked briefly, even on the day we met, about renting out our physical clothes. Uh, And I have justified my deep obsession with buying gowns uh, through renting them, which is great. And I have to say, I've made a small fortune. Um, I've definitely made over a thousand pounds renting my dresses on her, which is covered those dresses and maybe a couple of new ones. Uh, so for me, digital gets even more exciting because when I rent that piece out, it comes back as a couple less sequins. It might have a little dance floor damage. And that happens, right? The, the clothes wear and tear and they decrease in value. But you've raised this really interesting point previously about cost per wear could go up, right? In the sense of the value of it. So actually, if I wear my dress or I loan it to somebody and they wear that online places, then that value is going to go up. And to me, that is a really exciting shift in the model where all of a sudden we're not wearing down, we're building up the value of of pieces. I love that way you're phrasing it. It's beautiful. So it's exactly that. It's this whole idea that in the physical world, fashion items are not in general seen as investment pieces. And I would say the primary reason for that is exactly as you said, the experience wear and tear. So if you have an artwork, for example, the way you experience an artwork is hanging on your wall. So hypothetically, an artwork could be hanging on your wall for 20 years, but it's not like people are touching it every day. So by the time you take it off, it'll probably be in near pristine condition. The way we experience fashion is by wearing it. And so every single time we experience it in the physical world, it goes down in value unless you're somebody like Kate Moss or Naomi Campbell, et cetera. And what's fascinating about the digital space is first of all, this idea of provenance. So if somebody like Kate Moss or Naomi Campbell wears an item and you have a clear record of it, you can prove that to somebody and it can become more valuable. But also the fact that that wear and tear does not exist unless, of course, it's programmed in. And so I could have an item and I could rent it out to you And first of all, I could have a smart contract system that programs in automatic reimbursement. So the concern about you not paying me is sorted. Second thing is it could program automatic return. So the other concern that I think both of us have, because I'm also a renter of my clothes, that it won't get returned. Again, nullified. And then the final thing is obviously the fact that I am also concerned about my clothes being ruined, but they're not going to get ruined because they're digital assets. So they remain in that pristine condition. This transition from item to asset is something that I think is very, very fascinating. And for me, it's one of the most important things to build out. And I think that's the key thing here, right? Building. So let's talk about utility. 
and what is needed to get there, which is a lovely little segue into your latest, and may I dare say greatest, move into launching Drop. You have just raised 1.5 million pre-seed from some pretty impressive investors. So I'm sure our listeners are desperate to hear your elevator pitch. Could you introduce us to Drop? So Drop is a platform which maximizes the value of digital fashion for its creators and also its consumers. And it was really spun by the fact that, as we've just discussed, I've been in the industry for a little bit over two years now. And my whole thing has been being a consumer as well as a collector of digital fashion. And I look out into the ecosystem of physical fashion, which is a $2.5 trillion industry. And I look actually into the environment of non-Web3 native digital fashion. And for me, that's skins and games, which is $40 billion industry. And then I look at Web3 native digital fashion, and it's less than 100 million. And I was like, why on earth is this? Why aren't people getting it? Why aren't people not excited about it? And for me, it boiled down exactly, as you said, to this issue of utility. And utility is a very funny word, and it's parodied quite a lot in the Web3 space these days, because utility is completely different to different people. The table that my laptop is currently standing on, for example, for me, its purpose could be functional. It's a stand for my laptop. To you, it could be, I like looking at the table. For somebody else, it could be a chair. So you can't ever say that there is some unitary version of what someone will use something for. However, you can put broad, common guardrails. And so with digital fashion, for me, the reasons that you want digital fashion are, first of all, fashion is in the business of identity. You wear clothes to express who you are to those around you. You're looking to say who you are. You may be looking to affiliate. You may be looking to show status. And that relies on being able to communicate with a vast mass of individuals who appreciate your style and who you can interact with as you wish. And so if you look at platforms like Fortnite, like Roblox, like Instagram, you have that critical mass of people, which is very exciting. And digital fashion has really taken off there in its skins form. However, on those platforms, you do not own your digital fashion. And what I mean by that is the platform owns it, meaning the average player in Fortnite spends $108 on their digital clothing. But if you left Fortnite tomorrow, that digital clothing would stay in that platform. You couldn't move it off and you can only monetize it to a very limited degree, if at all. And so whilst you really have success in this context and communication of identity, you don't have the ability to own or monetize your goods. Other side is this monetization angle. And so you can go on something like OpenSea or an NFT native platform and you can buy a digital fashion item which is ownable, which is monetizable, which is yours and it belongs in your wallet. However, in the majority of cases, you can't wear it. So this communication of identity is nullified. And so one of the core principles of Drop was, how do we provide this wearability utility and also the monetization both simultaneously? So that's the core principle that I began building off of. Then I really focused on what I loved more than anything, which is empowering these creators. It's the stuff that I was just talking to you about. I don't see the future of fashion, Web3 fashion particularly, being dominated by the Dior's of the world. They have their place in physical, they're incredibly talented creators, but exactly as we've seen in streetwear, 
and also what we've seen in the digital art movement, an entirely new movement has an entirely new zeitgeist. And this is a zeitgeist of Web3 native designers. From a business perspective, those are the people I want to empower. And from a social perspective, those are the people I want to empower as well. So I want designers from Mexico City, from Colombia, from Tel Aviv, from Ghana, from anywhere in the world to be creating stuff to be put on my platform, who don't live in major fashion capitals, who maybe wouldn't be able to otherwise access the industry, but can now be the pioneers of this industry. So the platform will have that retail element for those, those designers, like a Web3 native Dover Street market. Then as a consumer, when you buy the clothes, it will go into your virtual closet where you can really interact with them, where you can see them in 3D. And from there, you'll be able to port them into these various worlds. So that could be onto yourself with AR, could be onto a PFP or picture of a profile. It could be into a game where it's on your avatar. And then the final component will be this idea of financialization. Exactly as we just discussed, you obviously have resale, you'll also have rental, and you'll have other protocols like where to earn or a brand would say, hey, Camilla, there are 200 people in this Fortnite concert or this Metaverse native concert. And I really want a critical mass of them to be wearing my brand. If you wear it for every single hour that you wear it, we'll pay you, let's say, 20 pounds. So it's allowing you as a consumer of fashion to also become an earner. And that's a really cool component because I also want it to become this gateway to fashion as a tool for financial empowerment, which it's never been in the past. I think my credit card bill could agree with you there that the financial empowerment has probably gone the opposite way. But I am so excited to hear every element that you have in this setup for Drop. And it truly is going to be game changing for what is next. And I can't wait to see in three months where it is, let alone in, in three years. It's extraordinary. For us to really transition or adopt this into more of a day-to-day -day or frequent use, my first question actually is going to come from, what does the consumer have to get into? Like, do I need to be a gamer to get into this? Or what transition are you going to see for this to become more fluid in our lives? So first of all, you don't have to be a gamer. I'm a very, very mild gamer. So that's, that's kind of the, the starting point of that. I think what's fascinating is that we're moving towards a world which is far more digitally intertwined. And it's funny because this isn't a five or 10 year world. This is a world we're already in right now. The amount of time that we spend cultivating our digital identities on Instagram, on TikTok, and 60% of Gen Z said that their digital identities were more important than their physical ones. So anybody who doesn't think we're living in a digitally native world, think about how much time you spend on social media. We definitely are. The change that we're going to see, and I think whilst I don't agree with quite a lot of what's actually happening. Meta has made my job so much easier because we are already in the process of social media transitioning very clearly to being direct to avatar. And what that means is instead of you interacting on a Facebook wall or even, you know, with a FaceTime filter of your own face, you're going to start seeing avatars and more immersive interaction taking hold. And that's not going to happen in 10 years. That's going to happen in the next two or three years. It's already happening. I think what we're going to see is this shift in consumer behavior and consumer comfort towards having a fully digital representation of themselves. And what's very interesting is at the moment, the way that our digital identities are formed with social media is that they're curated. So I'm taking 
snaps of my real life experience and I'm curating them and putting them together on a digital platform. When you look at the direct to avatar economy, it's not curated, it's created. So you are sculpting yourself from nothing. Whilst there are a lot of challenges around that, it's also very exciting because it's going to start to engage an entirely new type of consumer who may have not felt comfortable interacting with fashion in the physical world, but all of a sudden with this new created version of themselves will feel comfortable doing that. So I think the consumer mindset shift is the biggest hurdle. And technologically, I am much less, I'm, I'm sure you will disagree with me, of a VR girl than an AR girl. I like AR because I think rather than being fully immersed in a digital space, which you can only do for a relatively short amount of time, you can exist in this hybrid environment of the digital and physical pretty much you know, 24 hours a day. Have your AR specs on, you know, you can go forward with that. And I think with digital fashion in particular, there have been leaps and bounds in terms of AR, but we ha still have far further to go. And I think in terms of the creator economy, as it results in digital fashion and relates to digital fashion, we were discussing this earlier, but what I really want to start seeing is designers who aren't just saying, here's a physical item, I'm going to digitize it, but rather designing solely for a digitally native context whatever that may mean to them, and integrating technologies in a way that tells their story even more compellingly. Yeah, I can't wait to see, you know, Fashion Week, a photograph of someone on the front row, but actually when you look at through their phone, they're in something completely different. Like there's so many wonderful experiences that can take place. I want to wrap this up with a little section we have called Share the Good Vibes, uh, which is a few quick fire questions and shout outs to good work in the Web3 space. So first question, Danny, what's your favorite digital fashion outfit or designer? I have to say tribute brand. So Gala is an insane founder looking on her Instagram, which I think started a couple of months before mine and looking at her creations is what wowed me and brought me into the space. And all of my most successful photos have always been tribute dressed. So no other choice but to say tribute. I love that one too. Maybe she could dress me for my podcast announcement. Okay, next one. Where do you mostly wear your garments? I personally mostly wear my garments on Instagram as an ORL digital fashion influencer. Okay, third question. What metaverse or online space do you think right now is the most progressive for digital fashion? Like where can I wear most of my outfits? So I obviously previously said that there was an issue with the interoperability of something like Fortnite, which there is. However, Fortnite at the moment is the cultural leader, in my opinion, in the space. You have something really fascinating called default culture in there, where users are actively chastised for wearing basic outfits, despite the fact that these basic outfits or having a better outfit has no impact on gameplay for me really highlights the point that I was making about digital fashion dragging in an entirely new form of fashion consumer um, and also there's obviously the Balenciaga and Montclair drops. We're gonna love a bit of high fashion right? Danny it's been great to have you before we go anywhere where can we find you online and anything you can plug to our listeners? So you can find me online at this outfit does not exist on Instagram for all of my best digital fashion looks you can also find information about my new company, Pronounce Drop, at Pronounce Drop on Instagram and Twitter, and my own personal account, Danny Does Not Exist, with no E, just an X, on Twitter. And we are going to be launching our platform in January, 
But in the lead up, we have very special exclusive dinners happening all over the world. We also have a zine, which is centered around digital fashion and culture to bring really the innovators at the fore of the space to light, which you can also find by subscribing on our website. And as always, guys, there'll be everything in the show notes, everything all over the socials so you can find Danny wherever she is. Good luck if you can find it in the real world or online. Danny, it's been an absolute joy. You look fabulous. Everything you said sounds fabulous. And we cannot wait to see what is next. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Camilla. I'm Camilla Perkis-White, and you've been listening to the Web3 for Good podcast. You can find all the details from the podcast on web3forgood.net or hit us up on social at web3forgood. We've got huge ambitions for this podcast, but I need your help. So I would love it if you could take a second to leave us five stars and subscribe. There is a huge underrepresentation of women and sustainability-led podcasts in Web3. So we're going to all need to work together to inspire others and share these stories. Thanks so much. Radio. See you next week.